so so I'm here with Roy Osherov, who is an instructor, a blogger, and an author. Roy blogs and teaches workshops about agile development and software team leadership. His most recent book is Notes to a Software Team Leader, which is being written and published on LeanPub. We're going to talk today about his book, about his experiences as an author, about Lean Publishing, and what led Roy to try LeanPub. And also, as a programming note, this is the first podcast I've ever done as the interviewer, so I'm sure I'll talk to you quickly and make tons of mistakes, so forgive me. Okay, so Roy, thank you for being on the first ever Lean Publishing podcast. Thank you. I'm honored to be the first. <laughs> um, so before we get into discussing your book and Lean Publishing, I'd like to find out a bit more about your background. Um, you, you, on your blog, you, it shows you teach workshops, you're a blogger and an author. So how did this all happen? Um, well, I've been in the software development business for about 12, maybe 14 years. Um, uh, I live in Israel, and I've always been, um, you know, a software developer in my heart. <clears throat> and um, about maybe 10 years ago, I started a blog uh, about uh, uh, .NET, and things actually rolled from there. I got a bunch of readership, and I got to write my first book at some point, which was about unit testing. It's called The Art of Unit Testing, and... That led to speaking engagements and training and uh, whatnot. And team leadership has always been a passion of mine. Um, it's it's something that I I've failed to do so many times that I've learned a lot about it. And um, so I'm uh, so I'm doing the same thing that I did with my previous book, which is just sharing a lot of my mistakes. Excellent. Yeah. No, I, I found myself I was reviewing your book for this podcast and I found myself just reading the whole thing and didn't prepare as much as I planned because it was, it was it struck a chord with me um, in my own experiences like going from a developer to trying to lead teams um, <clears throat> so what led you to so what led you to write notes to a software team leader was it um, like like coming out of your training or coming out of more like experiences like leading teams or like how was how did that get started well, the the book um, I view this book as more of a bridge, a bridging book, much like the first one was. Notes um, uh, to uh, to software team leader for me is a book that bridges uh, people with no management experience and leadership experience uh, uh, with uh, the most important basic material they should be uh, in, uh, introduced with, <clears throat> but uh, very much from a down to earth point of view, um, no nonsense, uh, real advice. Uh, not necessarily in, let's say, um, industrial terms, uh, as as least um, as least um, uppercase letters as possible, if you will. <laughs> jargon. Yeah, no, there's no jargon. I, I found it was just felt like reading a conversation. It was really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, thank you. Uh, and 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 the point is, uh, I there there was a series. Of books called 99 Things Every X Should Know, like a developer or an architect, and it's edited by Kevlin Henney. And uh, I, uh, I got to meet Kevlin in a bunch of conferences, and I said, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a 99 Things Every Team Leader Needs to Know? Uh, unfortunately, the, the company that wanted to, that, that publishes his books, uh, didn't really like the idea for this book. And I didn't want to steal the naming convention. Right. So, uh, um, it's basically Kevin's idea to call it Notes to Software Team Leader. And, and he's getting full credit for this, for this name because uh, I think it, it really matches. So the second part of the book is actually community-driven. And it's filled with notes and advice from team leaders and consultants and uh, team leader wannabes and project managers about 
what would make it a good team leader to them. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I noticed that. Like, so I, I assume you're you're evolving this as you as you publish it. Like, it's currently around uh, 30, 40 pages on LeanPub right now. And you, what's your plan for the book? Like overall, like just to like just keep going with more notes from other people or add your own, like expand it as well yourself. Or how's what's your plan forward? Or do you are you just evolving as you go? Well, uh, the plan is to have two parts for the book. The first part is the one that I'm writing, um, which is uh, based on the blog at fivewise.com. And that's uh, my notion of um, my biggest discoveries in, uh, in the world of team leadership, which is about the idea of elastic leadership um, and the idea of team leadership stages uh, where the team needs different things at different stages of its life. Um, so that's when I finish this part, or the first part, which is probably going to be about four or five chapters, nothing more than that. I'm working on chapter three right now. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna add probably no more than a hundred notes, and um, hopefully the book will be basically finished. Uh, and then I'm gonna print it and 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 sell it because I always uh, I'm teaching this stuff, and I'm really missing um, a, a book that that encompasses the things that I'm teaching. Right. So, yeah, no, 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 no. companion book for my uh, my courses. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I really like the, your the three phases. You know, the chaos phase, learning phase, and self organizing phases for the team, and then also the different leadership styles. Like where you talked about command and control and coach and facilitator. I've, I've, the, those really like. I really I think that they're really valuable to talk like to think like that because I I find myself like looking at falling into either command or control or facilitator a lot, like defaulting to facilitator, but then moving to command and control. But it's nice. It's, I haven't really thought about like, but it's nice when you have words for describing what you're doing, like like design patterns kind of, if you, to me, it felt like when I read design patterns and it's like, okay, yeah, there's just some names for things I'm doing. Right. Then it's like naming facilitator. Like, okay, this is to recognize what you're doing. Um, as that, I think it makes you more self-aware of what you're doing as a, as a leader, I really exactly. found it valuable. Um, and one of the biggest points of, of the idea of the elastic leadership in the book is something that I've been missing a lot, and it's basically a framework for deciding what type of leader should you do should you be based on the current situation of the team. So it's more of a framework to, to say what is the current situation of the team? Are we in chaos? Are we in learning mode? Are we uh, in self organizing mode? And then to change accordingly because that's something that that seems to be missing. Uh, in terms of guidance for a lot of team leaders, especially for me, it was missing, and I wish I would have um, thought about that when I just started out. But today, when I see team leaders make a lot of mistakes, uh, once I have that framework in my head, it's very easy to to um, to say, okay, so I can see that the problem is that there is a mismatch between the leadership type and the actual phase the team is in, and that's the problem. If we just match this one to the other, things would be better. Uh, and it also gives you a framework for for deciding what type of advice to accept. Have you ever seen those questions on LinkedIn? Like, I'm a scrum master, and my team. Uh, I have a person in my team who doesn't know what, uh, who's always negative. Um, what should I do? Then that person gets like a hundred different responses, <laughs> things of what they should do. And of course, each one, each and every one of them seems to make sense. But a lot of them collide with each other. A lot of them are the opposites of each other, and so. This is kind of a framework to say, 
okay, it depends. Uh, what is the phase the team is in? Because based on that, you either have time to work with that person and challenge them, or you don't. Uh, how do you challenge them? If the team is supposed to be self-organizing, are they, are they really? And so your actions as a team leader will be different. So it's a framework to decide what to do based on the current situation. Right. Did, um, for people, say, for example, who might be better at, say, facilitating than coaching, like, is there, like, do you try to look and follow the situation as much as possible? Or do you take into account, well, I might be, like, sort of, at, like, average or poor at coaching right now, but I'm excellent at facilitating. I'll try to facilitate my way out of this. Or should you try to really, like, just improve your own abilities as a team leader and then try to really be a situational like like do you take that does that take into account like the different like what the team leader is capable of like if you're trying to coach and you're just doing a bad job coaching are you only making matters worse or mm -hmm. um yeah that's a good question um so I'm, I'm i'm really good at facilitating i'm ter and i'm terrible at coaching um yeah and i'm, and I, I'm good at command and control but i, do, I don't like I, I i enjoy it but i try to use it very sparingly because i think it's destructive if you use it a lot um mm -hmm. But so for me, I try to like my own. Actually, I, like, so yeah. So I, I've the one thing I see. One question I had, sort of maybe related to this, is how do you see lots of this um, in the Elastic Leadership chapter that I read so far was about seemed to really talk to team leaders inside larger organizations. Um, do you see the same sort of dynamic applying to like smaller like startups, or do you think that things are just so chaotic in startups that it may make more sense to use the, to apply this knowledge in larger organizations first? Like, is your target reader, is sort of who's your ideal target reader? Is it a person in a sort of 100 person company, 1000 person company, 5 person company, like? Mm -hmm. um, I don't, uh, having worked at a, at a with a startup mentality and moving to Ruby in the past couple of years, um, has taught me that um, I don't think that this, the elastic leadership stuff, um, makes a lot of sense if you're in a startup mode and you, the whole idea is to um, just get feedback and see that you're on the right track. Yeah. Um, I think that it's it's more, um, it's going to be, it's going to make more sense if you're in an in a, in a enterprise-related team. Right, where, where you know the product you're building and it's about delivering, like where you're in it or you're doing traditional like, agile approaches. Um, well, uh, I really come from the Microsoft world, and in the Microsoft world, it's a lot of enterprise stuff, and there's a lot of people problems because it's usually not a startup space. Right. Uh, and in that regard, um, you have a lot of time to work at your skills and improve your team. In startups, usually you, you would have a month or two to just develop something and get feedback, and I don't think it's the right place as for as a, as a team leader to... To develop the the people in their team over a month or two, when there is only one, we only have a couple months of runway. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's, it's so good I to know. I've grown past the initial startup stage where you actually know that you're building something of value, and now you you have a long stretch ahead of you of multiple years that you know you're going to be working. Now is the time to start building a real team and growing them, etc. But in the um, in more of the um, initial seed stages. Uh, I don't see it happening too much right now. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, okay, so, so in terms of uh, mechanics of your book specifically, like in terms of how you've gone, gone about this, so what led you to uh, use the lean publishing approach of self-publishing while your book is in progress? Well, I've um, 
Well, initially, I was um, I was uh, I was talking with Manning about doing this book with Manning, and they really wanted to. And then I was talking with Pearson Books about doing the book with them, and I actually signed a contract. Um, but then the whole SOPA thing came on. And one of the things that I saw was that the, the Pearson folks uh, were actually in support of SOPA. So I actually contacted them and said that uh, I cannot work with someone who supports the SOPA Act. Uh, wow, and so excellent. I, yeah, so I we're, broke We're the, very anti-SOPA, as, as you may know. Uh, yeah, so and, and, and the more I look at the publishing world, the more I see that it's basically, it feels like a big scam. Because, you know, I, I've published a book that is mildly successful. It has sold many thousands of copies. I mean, definitely more than 10. I think uh, probably double that. I'm not sure. Um, and yet the royalties are just horrible. It's definitely no way to make money. It's a good way to, to make yourself known yeah. in terms of maybe marketing. But um, for someone who believes in the idea of agility and incremental work, the process of writing a book <laughs> is basically the opposite. It's the Extreme, most extreme version of waterfall that can ever be imagined. You oh, expect to write the whole book, the, the whole t table of contents up front, and then to kind of uh, estimate how long it's going to take, and then to try to leave by that. And of course, everybody knows that's never going to work. But somehow, you're expected to write the book, and and uh, two years later, you're supposed to finish it as if your mind is two years. Uh, Backwards. Yeah, if you have a good idea partway along, you can't change it. If you try to change your table of contents, then that's like a new proposal. Yeah. Almost, almost. Yeah. It's not that big, a big of a deal. Once you're in, uh, basically everyone's already in it with you, and then you can go ahead and say, look, it's going to take six months more, etc. So my first book actually took three years to publish because I just had a kid born. So I started my first book with no kids, and I finished it with two kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, and now this book, I just had a kid born nine months ago, uh, so that's interesting too. But my biggest problem was that the feedback mechanism, the feedback cycle of actually publishing the book and reviewing and doing the copy editing and all that stuff is just so slow and so horrible and so waterfallish and so uh, bureaucratic. It just it just doesn't make sense. It's it, it's not. It's something that I would try to avoid at any cost, um, and so. <clears throat> What happened was that I was looking at other publishers and I was looking at um, the Pragmatic uh, Publishing Company and I'm actually still thinking about working with them because the royalties are pretty good. They're doing a 50-50 royalty stuff. Yeah. And, um, after, and then, costs, after costs, right? You have to after costs, yeah. It's still not, pr not, not amazing, but, but you can tell that they're trying to do the right thing there. Right. Because I think they're developers, they're working with developers, and they have some amazing books that I, I've always wanted to be part of that, you know. Yeah, no, I think I've, I, have, I have program Ruby, I have like, I think I've bought about 10 pragmatic books. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, same with Manning, though, I, I've used, I, the, one of the first program books I read was like, I think Manning's Java Swing book, like way back in the day. I wrote a Manning book myself, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah, and I know what you mean. It's, or, it's it, the, the funny thing. I can I understand your experience totally because I did two uh, Manning books and the first one I had self published it while it was in progress and then um, after it, it was about well what I did is I I before I had any contract with anyone I had I had I was writing flexible rails and I was self publishing it and I, what I was doing is I put the PDF on Lulu and people could buy it buy it and in the thank you note I said oh hey this book is being updated here's a secret URL. 
and it was like flexiblerails.com slash rumpelstiltskin. And so it was, a, it was a, my joke, right? Like, you know, don't tell anyone this thing because this is the book you paid for is at this URL. Um, and so I wrote the book in public and iterated. And then after I finished the first draft, then I was getting contacted by pub, various publishers and did the deal with Manning. And my experience there was really positive because I had the first draft finished. And then it was just like, okay, take the thing and polish it, right? And make a book out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And also my, my negotiating position was really good because I had a finished book and I was making lots of money and, you know, so I could drive a hard bargain on the ebook royalties. Um, and that's kind of, uh, and that's kind of what, where I'm driving to right now because I really like the Manning experience in terms of people are really nice. Yeah. They're just stuck in a world of a, ver- a lot of bureaucracy. But they're trying to do the right thing. Yeah, and they, uh, they add the most, the most value near the end of the book, right? Like typesetting, copy editing, all that stuff happens at the end. Like, and the, you marketing know, too. Yeah, marketing and like and the channels. Like, I, I mean, I don't know anything about selling print books and channels, right? But I found that like, um, if you do something with a community, like if you write in progress and get your, get your ideas out there when they're early. For me, what happened is the community sort of functioned like my development editor, and exactly. and then when I was done the book, then I put it through the sausage factory and made a real book out of it, like a real physical book, etc. But um, but the original the, the the process of actually creating the first the first full version, I really enjoyed that self publishing it. Um, yeah, and it seems like you're doing the same thing. Yeah, I don't want to hide the book as I'm writing it, and and to me the the lean pub process really fits because I'm an extrovert in many ways, and uh, is there if there's one thing that I hate is to delay gratification. <laughs> So I want to be able to like fix a typo or add like a missing bio to one of the writers and then click preview and then click publish. And within three minutes, everyone has the latest version. Yeah, exactly. If you have a bug in your book, you don't like if it's a technical book and you have a bug in your book, you want to be able to push that out to readers like same day that you find it, right? Exactly. And your, your book obviously is it's a technical book, but there's not there's no code in it. It's a management book, but if you're if you want to just change how you've phrased something or if you want to release it, you want to be able to push out releases to your readers, you know, when they're on your schedule, not like putting people in between you and your readers. Yeah, and it's kind of like cooking because you get to decide on the cover. So I went to 99designs.com and I and I uh, created a nice cover for it. And uh, so it's like you're a child. So you're in charge of everything uh, in terms of content. And you get to see it live and that people actually, you know, one of the nicest features that I like about the Lean Pub stuff is that I could tell that people will actually buy the book before I actually started publishing it. Oh yeah, that was, was the, a nice thing. That's that's kind of the, the the lean idea is to say, is this the right thing? Will people actually pay for this? And so I get to see whether people actually pay for the book. And when it's out, even though it has like two chapters and a couple of notes, people are actually buying it. I have like almost eighty readers so far. Yeah. And to me, that that's that's well, it's not the most amazing success, but it tells me that there is there is um there is a pocket of loyal readership that's just beginning, and to me, it's almost like a blog being written in live that's going to turn into a beautiful book. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I, I've obviously since like I'm a co-founder of LeanPub, I can poke around and look at things. And I mean, I noticed that you know you've had people paying everything from the minimum to like over ten. Like your minimum price of your book is two ninety nine, and the yeah. suggested price you're selling you're suggesting is nine ninety nine. And I've seen and like have- you've had people pay more than the suggested price. Yeah, like fifteen bucks. Yeah, and you've had—I've seen the spread has been very impressive, actually. Like, um, 
lots of people will be paying over the minimum, which is fantastic. Um, and I mean, when we launched it, when we were initially building the variable price feature it, back in the day, LeanPub only had fixed price, and we were we we had the idea for hey, we should do variable price as well. Um, and like kind of like because based on the success of things at Kickstarter, seeing how people really want to you know engage, you know, feel like they're participating in creating something. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this this is seeing the the data from books like yours just makes us made us realize oh you know this is so good that we should just get rid of the idea of fixed price altogether. Like it does not make any sense to charge a fixed price for a book. Yeah, but, I, I have to say I'm pretty impressed. I think that um, you guys and I'm feeling like I'm part of the beginning of a revolution in publishing, and I think a lot of people are going to start doing this um, in the next few years. Um, we're just like the uh, the most uh, the earliest adopters, uh, but but as as the books become more and more you know um, published and printed, um, to have like a, a nice graphic that says uh, published with Lean Pub or uh, incrementally published, uh, um, uh, <laughs> I would call it linearly, as in the word linear. <laughs> so I like that. yeah, so uh, hey, I want dibs on that. <laughs> I love naming things too. Oh man, I have a weakness for naming things. Whenever I have a good name, I register the .com. It's like a habit, <laughs> my domain habit. Exactly. So, so I have like <laughs> six domains on on DN Simple. <laughs> I think I have an order of magnitude worse problem than you. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so ATD. Um, one thing that I that I that I like is that there is a bestsellers, and my book is in the bestsellers. But at some point, I realized it, it's somehow not sorted by the amount of readers. So it's I'm not by sure revenue. It. It's sorted Sorry? by it's sorted by revenue. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the reason reason we did that, and that'll show you how early stage we are. Basically, you know your revenue, and you know that. So the short head of our revenue is really good, um, and then it falls off. Uh, the reason we sorted it by revenue is that we had a free a couple books that had a free promotion that got a lot of press uh, about a year ago. And so they had a you know say over a thousand copies that were just free, and so we wanted to give. Um, well, it's, it's it's a couple things. We should actually on the bestsellers page like sort by. So excuse me. We should sort by like we should let you as a like we should let a, a user of the website say show me like top. It's not like Apple where you say top free or top paid. What you really want to see is like show me. Um, Growth like like by like grossing, which is what we do now, or show me like um, number of sale like number of copies, which is which would be like the which would just count free and paid equally. But we should find some way to wait. There should be some sort of waiting where if someone pays twenty dollars for a book, it should be worth more than free. I'm sure the listeners are about to choke both of us right now. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, so. Um, uh, anyway, I, I really like the the process because it allows me to think freely and just change the book uh, at my own whim. And geeks like me need the, the that control, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Did you always keep? Have you been, done much experimenting with your price? Like, did you do two ninety nine, nine ninety nine right away, or did you change it around? Well, or? I just set it to ninety nine, and so just to see what happens, and that's it. Cool. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. It would be nice to have like A B testing or something, but you know what? The fact that people are buying it tells me everything I need to know. So basically, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I'm I, I'm fine with how things are going. Uh, uh, so so far, I'm happy with the design, and um, I think the whole idea of the lean publishing, of incremental publishing, and being able to see it as you write it, 
I think that I, I I don't think that exists anywhere else. Yeah, no, I I I'm when we designed LeanPub, we based it off my experiences. What I had to do though was a big a, a clutch. Like I had to use a service that was meant for selling finished print books, which is Lulu, right? But they also sold PDFs, and so I put a PDF on Lulu, and then I wanted to do it in progress, so. I put like a secret URL on my thank you note, and I also set up a Google group um, so that if you bought the book, you could join the Google group, and then I'd put updates on the Google group. But the the whole thing relied on like um, distributing updates. I had to like post a file somewhere and email a Google group, and it it was a big hassle. And I did it, and like hundreds of people like read the book, and you know it, it did well for me. But yeah, like basically, LeanPub is created to basically be the website I wish existed when I wrote Flexible Rails. Um, and it's it, the funny thing is that the idea for like the name LeanPub came from uh, our first customer was Eric Reese, And we he came to talk in Vancouver about uh, Lean Startups. And we were talking with him afterwards. We were drinking with him and talking about, you know, um, what, what what would he like in a, in a books, in a publishing website. And he says, well, you know, what I really like to be able to do is make a book out of my blog because, I mean, all the good content's right there. And mm -hmm. we're like, well, we can do that. And so, like, the idea of then that's when we realized that the sort of in-progress self-published books and really dovetailed nicely with blogging and bloggers. And so we could look at, in pro like, blogs being a good starting point for, like, an optional starting point for in-progress books. And so that's how that's how the whole thing sort of, sort of happened and why it's called LeanPub. Um, is like lean publishing, uh, which is sort of self-publishing in progress book. So yeah, no, I think that you're you're basically our ideal author, and so like um, you're you're obviously you have te technical skills in terms of you've written like you know tech, you, you're you're a coder, um, and you've you know you've written a t you've written a technical book, and now you're writing a business type book, and so basically, you know your feedback is really valuable to us. So like, is there anything that you wish LeanPub did right now that it doesn't? Um, well, I know you guys were mentioning the idea of um, <clears throat> generating a PDF that would fit with things like Lulu or et cetera, which to me would be a very good idea. Right. Um, I want to be able to just, when I'm finished, just, just ship it off, just print it and just have it on Amazon and the Kindle and all that stuff, not even worry about it, just being able to get a link and tweet that and be done with it within 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, what we're going to do there, I think, is so um, currently you can put the PDF on Lulu, like yourself, and, and people do that. Like, for example, Eric Reese's Startup Lessons Learned book was on Lulu, is on Lulu right now. Um, and I think last time I looked some number of months ago, it was like in the top thousand Lulu books. Um, and But the, the thing is that the PDF is basically... A PDF like right now with LeanPub, the PDF you put on Lulu is a PDF that's made for screen, right? And so we're we're going to develop a feature where we make like print optimized PDFs where we take the cover page off, so you can do your own cover. Yeah, with, yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, there there isn't much that I miss um, except maybe just uh, being able to sort by readers and the. I, now that I know it's by grossing, that at least I know what it means to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, right. But, um. Yeah, it just means that we're somewhere in the beginning because um, we definitely, I, I think it's just the beginning. More people, so I know Johanna Rothman is working on a book or, and other people, um, a lot of a lot of people I think at, at, in the next couple of years will, will start realizing 
that there are benefits to not working through a publisher at the beginning, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think publishers add value. The most value they add is at the end. And if in the beginning part of a book, if you want to write in public, there's lots of benefits. Um, oh, hey, actually, I have a question. How so far in terms of reader feedback? Like, have readers? Like, I know in LeanPub we have the ability for you to say email readers and send something from a form. Like, have you? found that useful or have you found readers like contacting you with email or Twitter or how, or has there been much feedback at all or how does that Well, there's, so far? There, there's been very little feedback from the readers. In fact, one of the things that now, now I think about it is that I miss is that I can't see the names of the people who bought my book. Yeah. Oh man, this has been an internal debate on this. So at one point we, we were going to show everything of name, email of purchasers, but we didn't want to do, we didn't want to do email cause that'd be bad. Right. Yeah, so, but the names at the very least, uh, because I can see, like, I have a course on TDD on Udemy.com. Right. And um, so there, when someone subscribes, I, I can see their name. And so I know who's actually part of my course. And if I know them, I can actually contact them directly. Okay. So we, where, can, we can maybe have some checkbox or something on our form. Like, like we could, like, like make it default share name, say, and then checkbox opt out or be anonymous or something. I don't know. I think that the, the person who actually purchases my book, I think that they kind of assume that I see all the information because I'm the author of the book. And they purchase it and they actually pay me in some way. So I don't yeah. think any kind of problem, um, at least giving their first and last name, um, I think it's actually expected. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. We'll have to think about it. It's weird. It's, you make assumptions... Like I make, I, we try to make reasonable assumptions, and it's like you'll always find someone who's like indignant about the fact sure. that your assumption was quite just quite just on the other side of what they thought. But yeah. yeah, but you can't let that deter you from building a good product, right? And so we have to figure out what the right balance is without making like our our purchase form is really dead simple, right? The reason we don't take you know with the sliders and stuff, and we don't want to do anything to to make it more complicated, but. I do know what you're saying. It would be nice for you to see names, and I think we. I'm actually going to take a note and maybe make a pivotal story for that. Uh, optionally, show names, show names of purchasers, and opt out. Yeah, that's actually something worth considering doing. Pardon? Now that I'm about it, another feature that's missing to me is the uh, analytics. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, we have. Google, so, have you? Um, if you go to the edit info page. You can yeah. put a um, Google Analytics code. Yeah, but I have, I'm using getclicky.com, so I need to be able to put JavaScript on the page. Oh. Yeah, it's a much more a powerful feature because not everyone uses Google Analytics. GetClicky is actually better, just so you know. Hmm. Yeah, much better. Yeah, feature. the weird thing is, so here's our, so okay, interesting. So our yep. danger, we don't want to turn it into MySpace where everyone like made their pages look totally different. So we're trying to, like, we're a bit afraid of, letting but yeah for analytic like javascript for analytics and stuff that makes sense as long as we could do it in a way that didn't like open us up to being abused or yeah you create an author um i, I think you should experiment do it for a yeah month we should we should try something but also we're going to work on just providing do an experiment yeah no you're right we should we should consider that for sure um hmm Let's see, because um, yeah. using Google Analytics is kind of a it's kind of a bitch, you know. I'm, I'm, it's always it's, uh, the, the interface is so complex and everything. And get clicky. I, I mean, I, I, I seriously uh, I advise everyone to go to getclicky.com 
and just use that. It's so much better, so much more usable than Google Analytics. And it's have free you, for the basic five sites, and so it's pretty cool, pretty have amazing. You, have you ever, so what we do right now is we use Google Analytics and Kissmetrics. Um, mm -hmm. We were considering trying to figure out as if there's a way to expose Kissmetrics data to authors, like automatically. So on what kind page. of data? Like funnel, basically, like funnel analysis. Like what, what data do you want? That's the... I assume you're doing funnel analysis, basically, right? Um, just um, well, I, I just want to see how many people go in, and uh, so when I tweet about it, I want to see that it actually has um, it has um, has uh, an effect on the on the wave on the analytics wave, if you if you know what I mean. Yeah, so it's Twitter is weird. Like Twitter traffic often shows up as direct, um, <laughs> like Twitter because every lots of people use different Twitter clients, and so. Sure. Um, but yeah, if you if you at least knew the volume, then you'd be able to tell. Okay, well, I did a big Twitter thing here, yeah. and then voop, I have like a hundred more people. Oh yeah, and, and you know what? Now that I think about it, uh, one of the coolest things that I saw is I want to be able to at least embed like a YouTube video on the page where I explain and I talk about the book, or there's a video of me doing a talk, a lecture about the book, or something like that. Um, I think that will draw a lot of people into the. It's like like a landing page, right? It's so it, it is a book landing page after all. So yeah, no, it is. And, and you know, there is, I think, a really powerful feature. Yeah, actually, that's actually a good, that's a really good suggestion. Um, so our goal is, so here's, it's just, and literally, like, if you don't mind talking about this for a few minutes, like, our design goal for the book landing page is to be good enough that people don't want to set up custom WordPress blogs just to point at their lean pub books. And we've had an author who did this because back at like our, our landing page used to be absolutely terrible. Um, and so like, you know, Manuel, he created a WordPress blog just to be basically like, no, actually it was a different person, but people have created WordPress blogs just to point at their lean pub pages. And so we want to give some, we want to make be flexible in terms of like have things like videos and analytics and whatnot, case, you have to be able to give me some like JavaScript embedding stuff and YouTube embedding stuff because uh, that's how people customize the the hell out of these pages, and so they feel they have control. They don't need to create their own. Right. Yeah. So like, would in in terms of the layout, like the current layout that we have now, is that um, oh, we did a bunch of work on the page. The layout is almost perfect. I mean, in Explorer it looks pretty good, but. In Chrome, everything is it's too much to the sides. Like uh, there are no margins to the right and to the left. But otherwise, I, I kind of like it. It's clean. It's simple. But I want to be able to add some more information to it. You know, in a, in a structured way. Right. And would you want that just to be like? Yeah. I mean, we'll. Okay. No, I can see that. And so, like things like a YouTube video, I could see that living really nicely, like above Twitter the table of contents. Things like a big Twitter icon that links to my Twitter account, and uh, and a YouTube where uh, it, it's it's right at the top of the page where I explain about the book or whatever. Um, yeah, or a background image I can set whatever. Okay, so I think you're probably gonna go going a tiny bit farther than we'll go, but I I get the idea, and I think. We're gonna do custom. I think we will start custom making this customizable, not like ne this week or anything. But I think in going forward, um, and well, when we do, actually, I'll ping you and see what your but feedback you know what? is. Before even all that, I don't mind that you keep the side as it is. Just give me the ability to have parts in the book instead of just chapters. Ha! Okay. Yes, you're the second person who's asked for this recently. Yeah, yeah. we'll do that. For sure, that makes sense. Because I, I, I my book is in two parts, and yeah. right now I actually have a chapter for the notes instead of a part 
for multiple node chapters. Yeah. So, okay. So what we want to do is keep. So here's the thing: we 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 need to keep like hash the, the H1 being a chapter, I think, because of um. So for the readers who don't, for the listeners who don't understand what we're talking about. In LeanPub, you have a book.txt file that lists file names, and then you have like H1s or chapters, H2 or sections, etc. If we went and made parts be H1, then we'd break all the LeanPub books, and we wouldn't want to do that. So I think what we'd end up doing is for parts, I think the current thinking is either some special syntax, like, you know, inside a yeah, text, just a special file. syntax like multiple lines or something that says part one, whatever. Yeah. It's just yeah. one other one hierarchy item up. So, uh, do by you the need way, to build the name just... of the parts, or do you like, or is a number like, do you want to be able to name it, or just part one, part two, like, or, or... yeah, I should be able to name the parts. Okay, makes sense. Um, and each each part should have an exposition, a possible exposition, like a ah. like, like a paragraph. Yeah. Okay. So then it's basically just like. A special syntax for delimiting a yeah basically a, a heading, and then you just write text in there that looks like just normal text. Okay, that makes sense. I'm I'm pretty sure you're gonna have to cut this podcast in half and say like the first half is the <laughs> and the second half is just uh, us. Well, this is this is yeah this is uh well I like this because this is LeanPub is a startup and we're a lean startup and we're doing customer so part of part of this podcast is like about lean publishing and the lean publishing ideas because I'm going to be taking this and adapting some of it for my own book like about lean publishing, right? And then yeah. the other part is I, I want to stick the podcast on lean pub about like, you know, hey, this is a lean pub author who's enjoying using lean pub and, you know, et cetera. But I think, frankly, I think that we're doing customer development and if like, you know, we're trying to build the best site for people who are basically you. And so this is very much what lean pub is, I think is, is, this type of process, like it's usually been during in emails and stuff instead of on a podcast. But yeah. for me, this is what LeanPub is. And if you want to be like an author to use LeanPub, then yeah. You know, Peter, while we are all being honest and recorded and stuff, yeah. uh, here's another request. All right. Um, so I don't get, and uh, you're not the only guys doing this, but I don't get why do payments always have to be every three months? Why okay, are they so they month? should be monthly. They should be monthly. You know why they're yeah, every three months? Do you know why? It's because no. I'm the guy who does it and I'm lazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's literally, so, like, so, I'm literally going into PayPal. Malice, that which can be attributed no, to... No, we're, we're going... Exactly. It's not malice. It's, it's, it's not even incompetence. It's sloth. Um, and it's, it's actually lack of automation. What it's going to be is we have... We're going to obviously at some point probably use PayPal's MassPay or something to pay everyone automatically. Um, I'm thinking about changing about changing the terms of service so that if it's over a certain amount, it gets paid monthly. Like What I don't want to do is every month have to pay like for books that are just basically like experiments yeah, well, and they have like one sale. Bucks or something. Yeah, if it's some sort of material amount of money. I, like, yeah. our, like, in, like, we're not, we don't have this in some big bank account earning lots of interest for, for LeanPub. Like, we, yeah, but we, we don't. Feel it's just that's the point. Yeah, and so we've we've had that request from one other person as well. And yeah, the the better you do, the more of a request it is. And so yeah, for books, we'll I think we'll change the terms to be like, you know, over a certain amount monthly, otherwise quarterly. And then, um, yeah, the other the other aspect is, um, hmm, ironically, I went to go. Uh, 
to go code the, the way that I the way that the code works to mark things as paid is written really inefficiently because when I first coded it we didn't have as many successful authors as now so I actually have to rewrite the code that that actually marks things paid because hey, congratulations yes I'm happy about that it's first world problems right that's champagne problems <laughs> exactly um, yeah we'll change it to monthly what's reasonable to you like hundred dollars two hundred dollars like before it's I would done? say anything over fifty bucks is a payable. 50 bucks? Yeah, sure. That's fine. Um, yeah. yeah, so here we go. I'm, I'm not going to cut this podcast. I, this is, I'm just going to put it up there as is, I think. I like this. Um, sure. Make it raw. Make it, uh, make, it, make it bleed. Yeah. So, sure. okay. Anyway, this was really good, Roy. Um, do you have any uh, – let's see. I, I mean, I think I pretty much go, um, covered everything I wanted to cover. Uh, so you're fine with this being a podcast and also with me excerpting or quoting it entirely in my – Lean publishing book, um, or just snip, snipping certain parts out and and whatnot, right? As long as I get to review the stuff you wrote about me on the book, yeah, sure, yeah, of course, yeah, cool. awesome. Cool actually, I'll actually ask you to contribute something about yourself, probably be easiest. Excellent. Yep. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you for being the first Lean Publishing podcast guest. Um, yeah, it is my honor. Thank you, and I'll ping you before we post the podcast, and I'll also ping you before I post anything in Lean Publishing. Thank you, Peter. Thanks a lot, right? Great work so far, guys. Thanks a lot. Talk to you there. And thanks for being a Lean Pub author. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.